Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. So today we are here for a culminary episode. That's a weird way of phrasing that and I suppose I shouldn't. But so the way I wanted to kind of describe <laughs> this episode, this is going to be a little bit different. I don't think I've actually encountered a podcast to do things in quite the structure we're doing things here. So we've talked about three things so far. We've talked about sexuality. Uh, we've talked about emotional intelligence and we've talked about anger management. Now, this episode is going to be recapping those issues in a... Uh, in the Her particular lens. Yeah, yeah, in the lens of fatherhood, teaching the, these items to kids. Uh, and, and, you know, and even in mentorship, when you're not a father yet, uh, teaching these things to kids, because that's what we do with kids. Um, so jumping all the way into that, uh, I'm Tom, and I'm here with Philip. I'm not a father, and Philip is. Very true. <laughs> so uh, I, I suppose let's go ahead and tackle this. Uh, well, which, which item would you really like to discuss first, Philip? Uh, I mean, they all sound interesting. I'm tempted to go just in episode order and start with anger. You know, I think we touched on it a little bit uh, in the episode itself because, you know, we we're still sort of figuring out our, our format here, but, you know, um, so there might be a little bit of duplication if memory serves, but, you know, this is one thing that, um, that I feel the least clear on, um, specifically, um, you know, it's not something that, um, I or my dad or his dad and certainly not before then ever got um, really good um, education on how to handle very well. And so, you know, not having a mastery of it myself is one thing that um, uh, makes it hard to figure out how to teach it forward, better forward. For me, you know, I spend um, a lot of my time making sure that in the moments where I do a poor job of handling that, modeling the kind of behavior that I want to see someone engage in who does that sort of thing, which is to say, I try to apologize. I immediately make it clear to them that, you know, like if I get angry at them and, and I yell at them or, um, you know, uh, don't uh, act with composure, you know, I will go and say, um, I'm sorry, you know, I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. I shouldn't have been like that. Um, you should know that that's not how we treat people. I shouldn't be treating you like that. Um, I was upset for these reasons, you know, and you should know that the thing that you did that made me upset is all, still not okay. I did not handle it well, but it doesn't make your behavior, you know, when it comes to kids or whatever, where you're correcting their behavior, you know, um, your behavior was not okay, but that did not excuse the way that I treated you. And for that, I'm sorry, you know, like really modeling, like how to make amends and apologize for that sort of inappropriate behavior helps um, because it at least puts in their head that like, that's not something that they should replicate um, or they should avoid replicating. But of course it's inevitable, like anger is such a um, spur of the moment type of emotion you know, um, it is definitely something that inevitably they end up mimicking uh, my failures a lot. 
in a way that's uh, very stark and disappointing. Uh, but I don't know. I think when I think about how to make Anchor better going forward and future generations, um, for me, it's a lot of trying to work on myself and make sure that I'm, you know, finding better and better ways of handling it so that it happens less often and also so, or so that I model inappropriate behavior less often and making sure that in the times that I do, I at least demonstrate a positive way of, of attempting to recover from that scenario. Um, you know, I think, I honestly, I'm, I'm not sure what else to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I think this is a difficult one because of the, well, yeah, because of the the two very related elements of that. Uh, one being that, by, just as you said, by the nature of it being a spur-of-the-moment emotion that, you know, this kind of a, like, you know, nobody ever thinks out, when you're getting angry, you don't think out so much how to deal with that anger. And I mean, that was something we talked about in our episode is that, you know, this is something that has to be practiced repeatedly in order to start getting it right because you're reactionary when you're angry. That's just how anger works. And by nature, that one of the first things you do when you haven't, when you haven't built up a certain kind of framework like that within yourself to deal with it, you model what you've seen in the past. That's just kind of what we do as nature as human beings when we're anytime we're a, a, a attempting to accomplish a task that we haven't personally done ourselves we typically model it uh, model our attempt to fix that task or address that task off of something that we've seen in the past i mean that's you know my knee-jerk reaction of dealing with anger is typically modeled off after my father's or other father figures that have existed in my life. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's a very, you know, intrinsic to it in both elements of that, of like, you know, modeling is very important in this. It's also hard for us because it often wasn't thoughtfully modeled for us. Um, and I, I don't mean that as like a, you know, a slam on our parental generation, but. Oh yeah, of course not. You know, but this wasn't something that was as talked about and uh, weeded through for their generation or their parents' generation as it is for us. Uh, you know, this is something that, you know, I'm sitting here talking with you about this as a intended future father because I really want to have this process through before I start having kids. That's not something that I think a lot of our parental generation did, especially among masculine presenting people. Uh, it was just not, you know, this kind of falling into the next issue. It's not something seen as a very masculine thing to do, to sit and think about your own actions uh, in the future and how you want to shape those to affect your kids. Like, that's just not, it's not something that has been common in our society. And I think it's something that is right now becoming more common in our society. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. We're, I, think, I think it's good to. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. Yeah, you know, it's like it, it, this is an element of masculinity that is growing with time, and I think that's good. Well, I think a lot of what we're discussing here is like you know, as as mentors or parents, you know, you're having it, it is your real opportunity. You know, we talk a lot about uh, on this podcast and in conversations and elsewhere. You know, like 
these big social issues, um, you know, like, uh, you know, being a man, being a woman in today's society, et cetera. And frankly, you know, a lot of the times we're talking about stuff that's so much bigger than us that, um, you know, it sometimes feels like, uh, what could we even do anyway about the problems that we see? And, you know, children are about the closest thing you get to a direct involvement in this sort of thing. And I think it's one of the reasons that we want to talk about this specifically in its own episode on a per topic basis, because it, it is by far like in talking about molding masculinity, right? The concept, not the podcast, right? Like children are the way that, that any of us get to do that in a very direct sense, you know, outside of being like a very, um, you know, well-known influencer or whatever, uh, very few people, um, you, you very rarely get the chance to be, uh, to, to shape these things. And, you know, I think it's important. Uh, one of the reasons I think the anger in particular is an important thing to really talk about when it comes to this and why I want to sort of share our conversation about this out is I think a lot of the, like a big frustration that I've had with a lot of parenting, a lot of parenting advice in general has always been, it feels a little condescending and a little bit devoid of reality. Um, there's a lot of like, okay, well, when your child yells at you, you just stay calm and you tell them that's not acceptable and you go do this, which is completely, which is fine and correct. I want to be clear, you should try to model that. But it just always feels a little devoid of the reality of having a three-year-old screaming at you because his peanut butter is on the wrong side of the sandwich. Like, like the issues are so trivial and the emotional reaction is so strong and the unexpectedness and the surprise of it, like there, that you, you don't realize until you're in the middle of it, how much work, like in the, in the way that I just described, how much, how much lifting the just stay calm and is doing there. It, it, it's so much harder than that sentence implies. And I, I, I want people to understand that you know, parenting advice is always written from a, uh, similarly to medical advice, right? It's, it's, this is the ideal, right? And you should try to strive for this as much as you can. But the thing that often goes unsaid there and is not talked about as much is that like, you're just not gonna do it. Like not because you shouldn't, not because um, it's not the best thing to do, but because it's just really damn hard. <laughs> it, and I mean, and this is one of the reasons that we can't, you know, come down on our parents, for example, too hard because, you know, A, they had a different set of information and a different cultural thing that doesn't always excuse the, the things that we learned or whatever, but um, it is important to understand that like you also exist in an imperfect society as an imperfect person trying to live up to an ideal that is impossible to achieve. And like a lot of this is going to be just genuinely trying to be honest and share like, here's where I've messed this up because I have and will continue to do so, not for lack of trying or, or lack of care, but because I will. Uh, 
and because I'm an person and just like letting, I, I want there to be some kind of example out there of someone who can just like say like, yeah, like you're not supposed to, I shouldn't have done it, but I did yell at my kids because I got frustrated with their really like immature reactions to uh, and over the top reactions to certain things. And um, that's not something I should do. And here's what I'm trying to do to get better at that and how we try to make men better going forward. Um, but anyway, it was a bit of a tangent, but I think it's one important to talking about this in particular, because you know, this is not something that I'm going to be able to stand up and say like, ah, as the person who has conquered anger, here are the six easy steps to never being angry again. Uh, and teaching your kids to never be angry because like, that's just not real. Um, it's never going to happen that way. Yeah, no, I think you're very valid in saying that too. And I think that's something that a lot of people share and feel about parenting advice groups, Facebook groups, parenting advice, everything I've always seen both as those parenting advice groups and also reactions from young parents, you know, in my own age group, um, who have went through that have frustratedly talked about is this it's almost a purity culture that exists within it of like if you don't do everything just right you're a terrible parent and you mm -hmm. don't care and it, it, it to me it and i'm i'm, I'm trying I'm, I'm really trying to not send us entirely on this tangent we'll probably talk more about this in the future but it like it, it almost feels i i grew up in an extreme with I grew up around some extremely religious stuff as a kid. And some of this feels like almost a parallel of that, where it was like, if you don't do everything right, you don't really love God. I mean, it's like this purity mm. culture thing of like, if you don't do everything just right, it it, it, uh, it makes it makes a lot of what I'm trying to say is it makes a lot of parenting communities feel really icky and weird. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a rough one, but you know, specifically bringing it back around to anger, the thing I want to be transparent here is like, you know, just like, and in some ways, like, I'm just a dad saying like what I've done. I, you know, I can't, I, I don't have, uh, if you, if you want like the scientific authority on what like, you know, psycho child psychologists say is the best thing to do. I mean, that's the person to go get your, you know, I, your advice from as to what the ideal standard to hold up is. That said, if you want a place to understand that like you're not gonna get there and that like everyone struggles with this. It's not just you, you're not alone. You know, this is definitely a place where you can get that. Because yes. um, <laughs> I am definitely that person who is, because uh, I've experienced that catharsis many times of talking to other dads, uh, other parents, uh, just like who go like, oh yeah, man, let me tell you, I try so hard not to yell at my kids, but man, you know, there's only so many times you can watch your kid uh, just like go up into an angry ball of tears because you won't take a picture of this like corner of the sandwich that, that they think is cool. Um, uh, if you can't tell, a lot of our frustrations have been around very arbitrary food things for some reason. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, just having that catharsis of being like, okay, it's not my just particularly crazy. I'm not especially bad at this it's something that all parents struggle with and it's you know it's the kind of thing that you don't often hear around parenting help circles uh, in which the loudest voices seem to be people who um either hide their mistake i suspect hide their mistakes very well 
and uh, often like will sort of condescend a little bit. <clears throat> but I don't know how to fix anger. All I could say is that I think that you apologize for it when you demonstrate it poorly. Try your best to fix it in yourself and um, and to model you know good ways of handling it when you fail. Yeah, and I mean, and I think you know one of the important elements of of anger in specific too, because I mean, like as you have pretty well made clear. Anger is a repeating thing that, it, you know, it's going to come up in relation to a lot of other issues. And and I think, and of course, and I'm saying this uh, more as uh, a sort of mentor figure who works with kids rather than somebody who is a parent who is with a specific kid all the time. But one of the key elements to me that, me that anger plays in a lot of things and in that exact thing of like when you when you mistakenly... Uh, react when you when you react in a bad way, and you need to you know, you you've modeled anger poorly. That that correction, that apology, coming back and saying, "Hey, look, I kind of yelled at you earlier. That wasn't cool of me. That's not something that we should do, either me or you. That's not how we react to that." And, you know, and really diving through and talking about it and having that emotional intelligence and emotional freedom to be able to talk about that, that builds a relationship with that with kids, with the person you're trying to teach and mentor and mold. That is part of building that relationship, building that trust, and building that understanding between each other. That is a form of communication. Like, we all know that. We've all, you know, had friends that you know, this happens between friends. Uh, we make a mistake and how we correct or how we amend for that mistake has great repercussions down the road for our trust between each other and our relationship between each other. And I think that's very important with kids, uh, you know, as, as part of that whole process of teaching. Yeah, and I think you have to be like very clear about, you know, because the fundamental thing about kids over and over is going to be that, you know, um, due to a lack of experience and a developing brain, they are not going to be able to hold a complicated model in their head until they get older. And a lot of times uh, the job of parenting is to teach your kids something that is short, easy to understand and fundamentally wrong. Uh, like it, it does not match the world. Like you tell your kids don't hit you can't hit people. Well, that's not right. Like if someone like attacks you, you should hit them. Like you should defend yourself. Right. But you can't teach kids that because they don't understand how to apply that rule. They'll just say like, Oh, he vaguely looked at me mean and I was defending myself. Well, no, that's not how that works. You know, like, so you teach them something that's easier to remember and wrong. Uh, that is closer to the approximation that you want to do. And similarly, you know, you have to realize that the, the down, the, the other side of that coin is that, they will learn stuff that is short and wrong from your behavior. So one of the things you need to do when, when going through this process, and I mentioned it earlier, but I actually think it's an important part of it, is when you're apologizing, you need to still repeat that if, if you got upset with them because they were doing something wholly inappropriate, like that was a bad behavior that you needed to correct them on, and then say like they overreacted and yelled at you, and then you got mad and yelled back at them or something, Thing and you guys got into a, you know, some screaming or whatever, like going back and saying like, I was sorry, I'm sorry, I should not have yelled at you. That was incorrect. But you need to also reemphasize um, um, 
that the inciting behavior was still unacceptable. Like, don't let them off the hook for that because they will take away, if you come to apologize to them for a side thing that happened, which is your poor reaction to anger, right? They will walk away with the impression of like, dad was wrong there and I can do that thing again, which is not true. And so you need to be, make sure, I would say like, the, as far as like a piece of concrete advice, the closest thing I have is probably make sure to apologize, but also re-emphasize that if, if there was an inappropriate behavior that triggered your anger, that, that, you know, you still re-emphasize that that behavior is still not acceptable because otherwise they will walk away with the impression that you're apologizing for getting them in trouble when you probably should have gotten them in trouble, just not with anger. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I mean, that's, you know, I, this is one of those times where I really can't give that much advice because I'm not a parent yet, but I agree with you completely. I mean, yeah, you know, that, you know, that's one of the most frustrating things I run into is, um, with kids who don't take discipline well in that it hasn't been modeled at home, hasn't been modeled at home. And it's like, the idea, yeah, the idea that, oh, hey, you did something wrong. Look, we need to talk about why that's a wrong thing. And then it immediately, like, I, I don't know, you know, that, that, that it is important to continually reinforce those lessons. Um, they're not going to sink in the first time. Uh, and also, like, uh, you know, one thing I do, and I mean, this is me speculating from, yeah, here's me speculating from future uh, fatherhood positions and memories as a kid, I suppose I would say. This is may, where we may differ a little bit in in some things. I, 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 I definitely agree. Like, kids have this short framework that they have to work with because it's, it's just the scaffolding that is ready there to go. I do think there is still value in giving those big lessons to. Oh kids. yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, kids who aren't old enough to understand that big lesson, but like, it's important to embed that little nugget in, because years later, it might be when they're a grown adult, they'll remember that, and it clicks into place because it was already there to begin with, and it's like, I get it, I get that thing now that Dad was telling me. 20 years ago, I get it now. There have been so yeah. many of those things that have clicked into place for me uh, that, you know, yeah, I didn't have the framework to understand it at the time, but it was still a very valuable thing that was told to me repeatedly, constantly drilled into my head, and I never understood it until 20 years later, and I had the framework, the scaffolding ready to process that kind of framework and understand it. Yeah, and I think when it comes to that sort of thing, you do have to be like, I think I think you need to try to operate from a position of not underestimating your children either. I Generally, the way I approach that is to, I try to teach them the reality of the situation. And if it becomes very obvious, I'm getting like glazed eyes of like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, you know, simplify it down. And sort of once, once you reach a thing where like it, it clicks enough that you can tell they under, at least they understand what you mean. <laughs> Uh, then you you reinforce that until they have clearly learned that, and then you re-expand out their model a little bit, bit by bit. Um, so yeah, definitely don't, you know, because if you always underestimate what they can understand, you'll never get the chance to teach them the, the complicated realities that they live in. But you want to go to the next one? Yeah, I think all of this really kind of naturally feeds into emotional intelligence. Because I mean, yeah. you know, 
all of that is this scaffolding and framework that we're trying to work with. Because, I mean, something I, I, I certainly hope that we got across in that uh, the episode on emotional intelligence is that it is very much an exercised skill. It's not something that you just get overnight. It's not something you just acquire by doing one simple easy step or even five simple easy steps. Emotional intelligence is something you develop over time and over a lifetime. Uh, emotional intelligence is something that kids often just do not have the framework for the same level of emotional intelligence as adults do because you have earned that through life experience and through practice in developing it and growing it yourself. Uh, and, and I mean, so it, it's important to understand when it's not all, you know, ready there for you to understand it at the same level as them. It's also important to understand how to continue and develop that in another person. And you can't know how to develop that in another person until you put the work into trying to develop that within yourself. There are a lot of lessons. And I, I, I love my dad. My dad is a fantastic, supportive father. There are a lot of lessons that he wasn't real well equipped to teach me because he never quite learned them himself uh and you know, and that's just a reality of of our relationship um and i mean the th same thing is most likely going to be true of my own kids no matter how much effort i put into it there are going to be some things that i just never quite got there and i certainly hope that they surpass where i'm at and I, you know, I, I hope I can grow to be an old man and I don't understand my kids because they learned more than me. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think it's important to remember with a lot of these things that it's a constantly moving target too. like, you know, as people get better, the expectation rises and the bar changes and society changes around it. And, you know, there's the whole movement of culture and, and all of that stuff. Um, so like, you know, I, I sort of reject the idea that there is sort of an ideal to strive to. Um, I think that ideal is, um, you know, maybe exists if you could define some, some like well rigorously defined, you know, sort of standard, but it would become immediately obsolete like within like half a year. Um, you know, so, but, you know, specifically to emotional intelligence, you know, something that I found very helpful in building that skill uh, both, um, you know, for, for myself, you know, which, which we talked about in the previous episode is a lot of, you know, practicing and, and, you know, being reflective and trying to understand your own standpoint, the complications of adult, uh, the complications of an adult's emotional state are often buried in layers of subconscious as well. But for children, sort of the refreshing thing is, is that they don't have, I mean, they have some, obviously everyone has it, but children, more of their stuff is on the surface. Uh, and um, so as a result, you kind of get to interact with them a little bit more honestly than you get to interact with a lot of adults. And um, a lot of times it's, um, it's getting them to examine both how they feel and how they're like, uh, you end up sort of teaching this around the same time that you're teaching like empathy behaviors because, uh, you know, contrary to all the people who like to say like there's this, you know, beautiful, you know, inborn morality to humanity that they all love. Uh, my children who are both great and uh, improving, my, my uh, oldest one who currently, you know, is such a bleeding heart for so many people and understanding their problems and, and sympathizing with them now when he was like three years ago that he was a little psychopath, like the, the guy like would, you know, thought only of his own, you know, what he wanted and stuff like it's a thing that you have to teach. 
in the way that you know you go about teaching you know empathy and intelligence is often in my experience framing it from their own perspective so like if my kids are uh, if one does something that bothers the other you know i ask them to put themselves in that position like you're trying to play a game on your tablet and your brother comes up and touches a bunch of stuff on the screen and messes up your game how does that make you feel and they have to stop and think and imagine what that feels like and, and be able to name that feeling really think about their state and they say like oh that makes me feel sad i'd be frustrated because i'm working hard and it messed me up okay well that is what you just did to him you know does that make you feel good or bad about yourself and you know uh you know you do get the response and it's like oh i don't know well if you get the i don't know response you say like well, i want you to think about it think about how that would make you feel think about how uh how once you've identified it how that makes you feel about yourself that you inflicted that on someone else you know really get them in the habit of when emotional situations arise that the thing to do is to look within understand your own feelings and also use that understanding to project out to others to understand theirs and that sort of helps to train a more empathic person because it's very easy to to care about your own feelings uh uh it's a whole different ball game to understand them uh and a whole and then a whole nother ball game to then be able to use that understanding to um imagine situations that are not your own and empathize empathize with those yeah a hundred percent and i mean you know it's i think it's important to iterate with reiterate too with that is that lessons are never learned with one teaching and i think that's something that you know you're yeah. you're pointing out very clearly and i think it's something though that parents have to you know <laughs> it's a lesson that parents have to constantly be given uh all, oh, of yeah. us, all of us have to constantly <laughs> be given it's real easy to you know i i've you know, i've seen this happen so many times of like you get a piece of advice of hey here's an important thing you know you you know like i i'm i'm just seeing it in my head of like oh yeah walk my kid through it like that and then he's going to turn around and immediately do the exact thing again and not get it I'm like yeah now that's what they're literally within do. seconds of your conversation sometimes <laughs> like that's, that's how it's going to work that's how literally everything is going to work you're going to get two plus two. Oh, they finally got it they know it's four and tomorrow it's going to be six it's it's just the way the process works. Um, it's it's gonna yeah. the, map, the brain is gonna remap itself every few seconds. But keep trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's very true. You know, you are teaching them how to practice and get it really sunk in. I mean, I remember thinking as a kid, my parents would say like, "How many times do I have to tell you to X?" And I always like. Uh, thought that, you know, it was like, that was largely like, initially, when I got to be older, you know, my reaction, that was like, oh, you know, they're trying to make you feel bad so that you, you know, uh, you know, try to pay attention to it more. But I'm realizing as a parent, and I hear the same senses coming out of my own mouth, like a lot of times, that's more a self rhetorical question. <laughs> In that uh, they weren't saying that to you, they were saying it to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> How many more times do I need to teach this lesson before you sink in? Because I am so tired of saying this thing over and over again. It's so frustrating uh, because 
it's like, especially when the lesson is not complicated, it's not like, here's how to understand the sort of complicated, nuanced adult thing. It's like, hey, don't grab something out of someone else's hand and throw it. That's not a thing that we do ever in any circumstance. There's almost never a time where that's okay. And um, it, it's like, it's not complicated. If someone's holding on to something, don't take it from them without asking. Like that's, that's it. That's the whole lesson. And it's like, I've said this like 30 times to you within the past like week. So I really don't know why this is not sinking in, but it needs to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we all have our own individual things like that, that are just harder to get sunk in than other things. Like, mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's one of those barriers, I think, too, that we often run into of like, you know, we think back on like, well, I got that. I knew that I couldn't scream in a public place by the time I was real young. Why don't this, why doesn't this kid? And it's, you know, we all, we all yeah. learn different lessons at different rates. I promise there were some things that I didn't get as a little kid that my parents were infuriated by. <laughs> like, oh, you know, yeah. And, and I mean, like having a second child will teach you that very quickly uh, because there will be things that you only had to teach your first kid once and they got it. And then this other one just it will not sink in. And then other things that you're prepared mentally to have this conversation another 500 times to get to sink in and you say it the first time they're like, oh, OK, and then they never do it again. And you're just like, what? Why is OK? <laughs> like, um you just realize like, well, you know, what I am doing is dealing with two separate human beings who are completely different in their own unique ways, despite having some very obvious similarities at times, you know, they are different and they have different personalities and different things that they struggle with and different things that they get immediately for who knows what reason, but um, yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, you know, sometimes like parenting is not as, is, is, is more of an art than a science. <laughs> Uh, when it comes down to parenting an individual child, uh, there's there's plenty of science in parenting, uh, but you know, specifically, there, you know, you're never going to get a piece of you know sufficient advice tailored to your own personal situation. You have to always kind of think on your feet, unfortunately. <laughs> and so, not to zoom along too fast, but. I feel like we're at a natural point to progress to the next thing because we're discussing things that are really hard to teach to your kids and individually hard to teach to kids because it has to be tailored so individually. And that is libido and sexuality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is a weird one for me a little bit because, uh, you know, my kids uh, as of time of recording are five and seven, nearly eight. Uh, so like, you know, that's not even a conversation that we've had. My, I keep, ex ex keep, keep expecting any day now that my eight-year-old's going to be like, so like, how did that baby get a mommy's tummy anyway? And be like, okay, here we go. You know, um, it hasn't happened yet. So um, it, I, I can't give the perspective on how to teach this to teenagers who are the ones that are going to be directly struggling with that sort of thing. Uh, I'm sure there'll be, if, if this podcast lasts for long enough, there'll be a cool retrospective, I'm sure, of like <laughs> six years from now when I have a 13-year-old kid uh, saying like, oh, okay, so I've learned some things. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, right now, the way I try to approach this is understanding that um, there are some parallels uh, that you can see if you're paying attention. And that is... Um, 
issues of uh, desire and consent. Uh, and this comes up all the time. Uh, and it's very important to reinforce these things from an early age. Like, um, I mean, even the thing I mentioned just a second ago, uh, I, you grabbed a thing out of your hand and threw it. Why did you do that? Well, I wanted that thing. Well, just because you want something doesn't mean you should go take it from someone. Okay, that's not, that's not how this works. You don't get to take something from someone just because you want it. It's theirs. If they have it, you have to ask. And if they say no, you have to be okay with that. If you think them saying no is unfair, you can always come talk to me and I will mediate that disagreement if someone is being unfair to you. For example, if you agreed to take turns and they've held on to it for way too long, okay, that's something you can come to talk to me about. But um, you know, what you don't get to do is take matters into your own hands and just take something because you want it. That's not okay. And, you know, if you can reinforce some of these early lessons about like consent and respect um, early on, you know, I think that I, I have the theory at least <laughs> that in the future, that will be an analogy to build on as they approach other desires that they suddenly have <laughs> to say, you were going to want to engage in physical activities with people who do not want to engage in physical activities with you. And that is just too damn bad. You know, uh, it's their body. And we, you sometimes get the, the attempt to teach this directly, especially in the ages, like kind of in the pre-K kindergarten range where they haven't sort of learned it's not okay to touch other people yet, especially when it comes to your, your their parents because they've been touching you constantly without consent, uh, which is fine and normal. Uh, for kids, you know, but, you know, at some point when they're, you know, four or five years old and they're reaching up and, and grabbing mommy in places that mommy does not want to be grabbed anymore, you know, saying like, no, I understand, like you're, you don't understand why, but you do not get to touch adults in wherever your hands happen to fall. You have to pay attention. You cannot touch, you know, you cannot touch people in private areas. Like these are like teaching these lessons are foundational for setting up that conversation later on. And I see too many parents who kind of hand wave off some of this at kids, you know, uh, they'll figure it out. You know, it's, you know, people take stuff from them enough times they'll figure it out. It's like, they won't. Like, if you don't teach them this thing, what they'll learn is like the person who gets to have the toy is the person who takes it and can hold on to it. It's an issue of power at that point. And if you don't seize the power as the parent and insert yourself and establish a better rule, they will see it as an issue of power. And that's where you get people that take the power into their own hands and do some pretty horrendous things. And you get like, you know, we talk about like rape culture and stuff like that. And, you know, hot button issues that is because like I think people hear rape culture and like you know imagine like somehow society is staying down on all the boys and it's like what you should do is rape women like that's not what we mean by that this is what we mean right like when people talk about rape culture they mean from a young age people are are hand waving away teaching you know young boys the lesson of like you can't just take something because you want it you have to have consent from the person who controls that, whether it's an object that they possess or it's their own body or anything else. You have to respect their ownership of that and get consent. And if you don't, you're the one in the wrong. 
And so don't, I, I would say when it comes to, if you're really worried about like, how am I going to deal with like a raging hormonal teenage boy who wants to, you know, do all these things and whatever. And, you know, I think the, you have to lay the groundwork very early on of, you know, consent and respect for autonomy as uh, mot- big picture motivated, motivating things for uh, morality early on. Because if you don't, and you try to tackle all that at the 11th hour when they're 13 and horny, you're just not gonna get there, I'm afraid. Uh, you need, that. That's, that's a groundwork that you have to lay because it's too much if you let them slide by with it, with inappropriate behavior for 10 years, and then suddenly you try to come in and be like, no, 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 you have to ask first. They're going to be like, what? That's never been the case. Why is that now? And so you, it has to be from, from very, very early ages. And it does, in things that don't seem like they're related to sex or sexuality or any of that at all, um, because it has to be that foundation. Agreed. 100%. I mean, and this is, yeah, this is one of those things that there are, there are countless opportunities to teach this lesson as kids are growing up, the lesson of consent. There are also, I, I also think it's important, you know, while using those organic opportunities to also create, create opportunities. And I mean, like, in the spaces in which I work, I have, I, I kind of accidentally realized this was a great opportunity and then made it into a, this is a thing I'm going to do all the time to create this opportunity. And this is games of dodgeball. Hmm. I'm personally biased in this just because I enjoy playing dodgeball. Um, but also I know a lot of people don't enjoy playing dodgeball for a very specific reason. And it's because they did not consent to playing a game of dodgeball. And, this immediately happens every time you start playing dodgeball with a bunch of kids is there's going to be some people who don't consent to playing dodgeball who get hit with dodgeballs. And that's when you like it's So I, I, I'm going to use a situation to kind of explain this, I think a little bit better. Uh, I, last week I both, I had a regular group of about eight or nine kids who were coming into the area where I work And uh, I was kind of trying to come up with like an activity for us to do uh, that would be a little bit chaotic, chaotic, but still have a purpose and a point. And so I wanted to do some dodgeball. And I also introduced some nerf blasters into that dodgeball. Uh, And we kind of did this like fortress on fortress, like gym mats inside of a gymnasium. And there was like two nerf blasters and then a lot of dodgeballs involved. It was kind of a mostly just chaos. Um, But it, Started off in the morning, I had maybe six kids. Yeah, yeah, it would have been exactly six kids. We were playing this. Uh, everything was going great. Everybody was on board with this thing and thought it was just fun and there was a lot of chaos happening. Uh, and then the next two kids showed up, had no idea, of course, about what was going on, and were immediately like, no, no, I do not want to get hit with a nerf blaster. I don't want to play dodgeball. And immediately one of them was chased with a nerf blaster and I stopped everything and no, come back here. We're not going to do that. Well, why not? We've been playing with nerf blast, nerf guns all day. Why is this not okay now? And I'm like, well, because they don't want to. Well, yeah, but why, why, why is that a problem? And like, and then explaining, well, this is a consent issue. This, they don't want to get hit by a dodgeball. They don't want to get hit with a nerf blaster. Then we're not going to, they don't, 
we don't have to force them to be included in this. You don't get to. It's not okay to inflict that upon them that they didn't consent to this. And and that was when we kind of had this conversation. And it really, it, honestly, it really quickly said in like, oh, okay, I get that. And we didn't have a whole lot of issues again until a little bit later. And then it came up again. And that's when we redid the same lesson again. But I mean, it to some degree stuck and got this idea of like, oh, okay, so I'm not going to play a contact aggressive game like dodgeball because that's you know dodgeball is 100 contact the whole thing is about whacking other people with a foam ball uh it quickly instills this idea of like oh i shouldn't do that unless somebody is actively and has you know very clearly put forward of like hey yeah i'm here to play the game of dodgeball right and yeah. and that's the thing it's like consent isn't just this thing that you can like there has to be some active vocal yeah i consent to that yes i want that to happen and it models that in a real world situation when yeah you're too young that element of consent is an issue but if we establish that when you're young later on when we're talking about the other kind of con like the other end of consent that's already established i'm glad you explained how dodgeball works because you know my initial reaction was it's like, oh, getting hit is part of the game. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. It's never happened to me. Uh, you know, no one successfully hit me with a ball in dodgeball ever. Uh, I didn't aware it wasn't aware losing was part of the game either. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, yeah, no, it's actually a really good analogy. Um, it's, um, uh, you know. It's one of those issues that I think um, there's a lot of like um, hand wringing and and sort of throwing up our hands like, oh, you know, how how are we supposed to even teach this type of thing? Uh, you know, like what, you know, you want me to start telling my five-year-old about sex or whatever? It's like, no, no, like we're not like asking you to, you know, over mature your children, you know, like the the thing to do is to recognize that like, you know, there are a lot of areas of moral consideration that we teach children that are analogous to other areas. And, you know, consent broadly is generally the problem when it comes to the, you know, the problem area when it comes to, uh, you know, sexuality and, and uh, because we've already discussed in the, in the, episode on this topic that the hypersexuality of men is actually largely a myth that's not to say that like you know again as we recognized before you know testosterone plays an important part in this and and that's almost a topic worth discussing itself is the medical effects of testosterone and its impact on psychology and physiology and that stuff but um it, it, the effects of testosterone are not so strong that you a can't control yourself uh or and be um that um it makes you some un unchainable horny sex god thing that can that can just always go or whatever that's not how it works like that that perception is a myth so like you don't have to you're you're not signing up when you have an assigned male at birth person someone who's going to go through male puberty um you're you're not 
you're not in the business of having to deal with some uncontrollable monster. That's that's not the thing. The reason that so many men have problems in this area and controlling themselves because they were insufficiently taught to control their desires as children. Um, and to to you know to my parents' credit, because we talked a lot about the failings of ourselves and our parents, because that's where you know a lot of the learning is to be done. But you know, to the credit of of my parents in this particular situation, you know, I was taught very clearly like to be respectful of other people's possessions and their autonomy, and um, you know that it was a responsibility to control even when I wanted something real bad. And from a very young age, and that translated up into sex as I got older. And um, you know, I can just tell you as someone who who I have a pretty high levels of testosterone in the few times that I've checked it, a high amount of testosterone does not make you uncontrollable. Um, so the, the, that's not just to say that like, you know, it's not an excuse for you to go out and attack people. Obviously not that that's not even up for debate. Um, having a lot of testosterone has never been a defense against a charge of rape. Um, but it is to say, like, if you're a parent worried about, you know, what you're going to do with your um, assigned male at birth child, there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> They're not going to be uncontro uncontrollable. They're going to have exactly as much problems with control as every other child, every other teenager does. And you need to just, from a very early age, teach them about that, you know, just because you want something doesn't mean that you just take it doesn't mean that you get to have it you need to learn to be okay with getting no as an answer whether yeah. that and, and every parent has having to deal with that every day constantly i want a piece of candy no i want this toy from the store no we can't afford that i want this no like you you teach them from very early age that you have to accept no from an answer and that extends to consent with other people yeah, and, it, and I, I I agree, and I think another element of this is modeling. Um, as masculine presenting folks, we have to, you know, something we talked about in our episode about sexuality was this kind of charade that goes on among men of like acting like we are hypersexual, and I, you know, this is one of those things that I think a lot of masculine presenting folks can attest to having experienced growing up of other masculine presenting folks, other men around them growing up, putting on this charade as like a, yeah, we're going to go do manly stuff like go to Hooters or, I mean, which there's nothing wrong with going to Hooters. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But like when it, it, it when it's so aggressively modeled as a kid that masculinity equates to attraction to women or, objectification of women or generally as sexuality is in, in in any kind of a form and format like masculinity is not a sexuality um and i i think that's it's important to not constantly couple those two things when you're trying to model masculinity uh for your kids don't don't cross that line and also like you know the general sexualization of kids as as in our society is, is something to keep in mind with this. And by that, I mean, like when your, when your son makes 
a friend who is a girl don't have that immediate oh so you have a girlfriend or like there's a like you know an attraction mm -hmm. relationship presumption there like don't do that i mean like because i i remember that being a thing for me as a kid not for my parents my parents were actually really cool really ahead of their time with this but a lot of other adults around me as a kid of like i tended to gravitate towards uh female friendship more than i did male friendship as Same. a kid in elementary school like i was constantly hanging out with the girls and I got this a lot from a lot of other adults around me of like, oh, Tommy's a ladies, uh, ladies yeah. man over there. I was, like, I was going to say it if you didn't. <laughs> That's what I heard. It's like, oh, you're a ladies man. You got a lot of girlfriends. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was not about that. And it shouldn't have been modeled as about that by the adults around me. That was a really not it just wasn't it wasn't a healthy way to address that or to bring that up and oh they were just being funny that's nothing is just funny to kids like yeah well and i remember hearing that and like what's funny about my memory about this is that like i remember thinking like having some idea that that was a thing that it was cool for boys to be right like i didn't understand what it was about because like i wasn't old enough to know about sex but like i remember knowing from like cartoons or whatever you know like media that it's cool to be a ladies man somehow you know and like that was like oh okay cool yeah now nah, i'm cool i have lots of friends that are girls you know so like in a weird way it like drove me to, to make more friends uh, that were girls not really understanding it but the but the inherent problem with that is that like when I did get old enough those two separate pieces of information clicked together and I was like ah oh, yeah and then you get this like really unfounded confidence uh, <laughs> uh, and you start treating your female friends like shit yep <laughs> um, because uh, you've gotten uh, you've you've connected two things that shouldn't have been connected um and yeah, it's it's funny to me that 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 is often the same group of com people that like complain that like talking about you know uh, gay and lesbian couples, uh, you know, showing affection in public uh, is sexual unnecessarily sexualizing our children. Uh, are the same group of people that like act ask their like five year olds if they have a girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> um, that one always makes me laugh. Um, yeah, we've avoided very specifically uh, that particular kind of language. Um, <laughs> uh, bringing, it only ever comes into the conversation when, uh, you know, like they sort of bring it up as a sort of, uh, yeah, I like her, she's pretty, or she's nice, or you know, um, sometimes, you know, if the if the girl in question uh, is um, experiencing uh, social pressure to be like highly effeminate, like, uh, you know, like really flirty, for example, I've noticed like some some little girls um, interacting with my sons will be like consciously very flirty and like blowing kisses at the boys and stuff like that like you know there's you know so you end up talking about it a little bit anyway because of you know other parents sexualizing their children uh but you know it's 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 something that we've avoided talking about and 
else that comes up naturally. And, you know, fortunately, uh, having taken uh, our boys to a fairly progressive church where there are gay and lesbian couples with children there, uh, you know, we've from a very early age had, you know, the model of like, oh, yeah, you know, your friend has two moms. Uh, your friend has two dads, you know, that's a thing that happens sometimes. Um, that's a choice that, you know, you may feel, uh, you know, who, who you marry is a choice that you get to make, whether regardless of their, you know, gender, and uh, it's just whoever you feel like that you love and want to spend your life with. Uh, and not making it, you know, just making it always clear that your options are not, are just whatever, you know, you feel compelled whoever you feel compelled to spend your life with uh, <laughs> to the point that uh, we actually had a funny moment semi recently where my oldest uh, came, uh, we think we were having dinner uh, and um, you know, he sort of looked up from his food at one point and was like, mom and dad, I've been thinking about something. And uh, I think I finally decided that, uh, when I grow up, if I get married, it'll be to a girl. And he said it with all this gravitas and seriousness. And of course, we like just burst out laughing because like imagining your seven-year-old coming out to you as straight, like it's just like really <laughs> funny. Um, but like, like <laughs> the, it, it was just like, it was at least a moment of like going like, well, I mean, like, it's cool that even though he came to like the conclusion that, you know, know statistically most young boys come to you know that and, and he's of course welcome to change his mind and, and hell knows at seven he has no idea what he's talking about um <laughs> but you know like even if that never changes you know it, that he considered that not with the idea that like these other combinations are off the table or you're bad uh or that like inherently there's something fundamentally more appealing about marrying a girl than a boy or whatever um was not an environment he he made that consideration and, and that it was evidenced by the fact that he felt the need to come tell us his conclusion at seven years old uh, <laughs> was was a little bit encouraging that at least you know having brought you know brought him up in a slightly more open environment has a not sexualized him because he still has no and isn't even asking the questions and b uh given him a more under, uh, accepting take on who you can have relationships with has been uh, encouraging. Yeah, no, I think that that sounds, you know, that sounds fantastic. And I think that's really good and healthy. And I mean, like, you know, I think it's worthwhile to also recognize and understand that when we're little kids, we do sometimes have romantic inclinations yeah like you know i mean like i was friends with lots of girls in elementary 99 percent of them i had zero romantic inclinations towards there was a girl as young as i remember it was in second grade uh that was the first year i actually went to public school there was a girl i was immediately smitten by absolutely smitten by I was 100%. I was in love with her and wanted to marry her. And like, you know, uh, yeah, was definitely romantically inclined. I didn't know the, you know, the contextualization behind any of that or the really what any of that meant. I certainly was asking for uh, advice on how to talk to her. And yeah, and there was this, you know, this rift between like, oh, I had girls who I was friends with. I knew how to talk to them. 
but there was something else about this situation. And I, you know, I often think about that going back in my head as like probably the first moment I, uh, if I would have been aware of those, like kind of the, all of the options on the table, I would have been like, ah, yep, I'm straight. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really, it, it's it's nice to hear that he had the full broad spectrum of understanding of himself, the introspection to be able to think about that and come to any kind of an idea. And yeah, and again, like, like you said, if that changes in the future, that's totally fine because we learn more about ourselves in the future. We aren't. Uh, we aren't born with a uh, full Wikipedia page on ourself in our head. Like, we're learning it as we go along, uh, you know, that's, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. And obviously, this is a topic that I'll uh, likely have uh, more to report on <laughs> in, <laughs> in the coming years um, as um, my kid is approaching the age of experiencing that more rapidly than I ever like obviously it's an exact like objectively it's at the exact pace that you'd expect um <laughs> because time doesn't actually change but my perception of that is that it is uh very very fast approaching and uh <laughs> so I will uh, uh you know for still doing this five or six years from now I'll be coming back to report uh, how that all's going <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure, you know, uh, if that's happening, my teenage son will be very happy with. Oh yes, putting that just, it's just uh, ecstatic, <laughs> ecstatic. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, I will attempt to if, if if that does happen, I will attempt to do so in a thoughtful and privacy respecting way. Well, I'm, I'm glad you told me that now before I started making the merch. I was going to make shirts with uh, this on them, but I guess. <laughs> I guess that's in poor taste. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we were talking about consent. I think that might be a factor here. <laughs> uh, well, do we have uh, anything else we want to dive into this week on this uh, subject? Uh, I think I am, as the non-parent in the room, I have uh, <laughs> exercised all of my thoughts on the subject. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have much else to say. I think we covered it pretty well as we snap other randoms as well. So um, hopefully anyone that, you know, was listening to this thinking like, that's great, but you know, what do I tell my kid? Hopefully this, like, not that I'm in any position to be telling what people want to tell their kids, but I, I, I like to think that if someone's listening to this, that they walked away with something useful or a helpful framing or something. Uh, Cause I know that it's, uh, Parenting's a bit of a, a nightmare of uncertainty constantly. So hopefully at least my experience with it can help shed some light or at least some solidarity among uh, struggling dads to uh, help them approach a difficult uh, task with a little bit more uh, confidence or understanding. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah, I hope that's my entire hope and goal with this podcast is to, yeah, to do that, to help, you know, it, this is all a group project, right? Uh, we're molding masculinity. Yeah. Uh, it's a group project. We're learning it just as much as our listeners are learning it. Um, and uh, to reiterate, this has been 
kind of the first segment of this podcast. Uh, so we covered those three topics. And then we had a kind of an, uh, uh, regroup on those three topics under the lens of fatherhood. Next week, we'll be coming back with a new topic. We'll do a couple more new topics, and then we'll do another overview uh, of those topics through the lens of fathership or fatherhood. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Facebook for now and probably Twitter in the future and possibly some other social media networks in the future. Thank you for joining us this morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever time of day it is.